tradition. And so we want to also continue that same tradition of, uh, of doing sermons. And so uh, that's exactly what we're going to do today. And so we want you children to, uh, to listen. And uh, the only way you can listen, as you're told in class, right, is to kind of stay quiet. Keep your mouth shut, right? You know, I was, my dad was a pastor, so I probably have been to more worship services than, uh, than most people have. And I had to sit there and listen to him both Sunday morning and Sunday night. And uh, I found all kinds of ways to entertain myself by drawing on the bulletin. Don't draw on the chairs, by the way. And uh, by also just going to sleep on the pew or whatever it might have been. But we have to somehow find ways to, uh, to maneuver through certain things. Hopefully that won't be the case this morning, though. Hey, if you will... Uh, even the kids can do this. Grab a Bible. We have some in the basket right there before you. And uh, just turn right there to the beginning of the Bible, which is Genesis chapter 1. I want us all just to sort of look right here at the beginning. And we're going to start with Genesis 1 and 26. Uh, but before we do, does everybody remember the creation story? It's a pretty simple story. Really, you just have seven days, which, by the way, our weeks are still based off of, Right? Seven days. We don't have five-day weeks. Some of us wish that was the case, but no, we instead have a seven-day week. And we have the first uh, six days here that God works on, and then on the seventh day, uh, the last day of the week, He actually rests. You remember this, right? So on day one, God actually creates day and night. On day two, God creates the waters above and the waters below. Now that's kind of interesting to us, but for their world, that's how they would have understood what's up there. I mean, because what color is the sky? It's blue. What color is water? I mean, like a lot of water, like the ocean, right? It's blue, right? Uh, and so they say, oh, look, water and water. And so he's, he creates uh, the waters above and the waters below. And then on the third day, he actually separates those waters into where there's water and where there is now dry ground. Well, then notice this. On the fourth day, he actually fills up the first day. So he creates day and night. But then now he puts the sun and the moon there and he puts cycles and seasons in place. So it's almost like he actually has on day one this thing where he creates a, uh, a habitat, right? A kingdom, if you will. But then on day four, which matches back to day one, if you're thinking about just the six, right? One, four, right? Two and five, three and six then he's actually filling on each of those other days in this column, he's actually filling the inhabitants of that habitat. So on day four, he actually puts the moon and stars and the uh, sun there. On day five, he puts in his habitat, remember remember it was the heavens, and in the waters below, he puts, guess what? Birds in the heavens and fish in the waters below, which, you know, that's still around today, right? And then on day six, where he separates the water from the ground, he actually puts inhabitants there too, doesn't he? Land animals, right? And this is actually the day he also creates us, uh, which is why we're not naturally land animals, right? I I kind of sometimes wish I was because I like to swim and I have to swim for a certain race I do, but boy, I know I'm not created for the water. That's something that's very foreign to my body. And I have to tell my body oftentimes, hey, you got to still do this, you know. And so we're not naturally uh, created for the water or for the air, but instead for the land. 
And we, so we're part of these land animals. As you know, kids, right? Mammals. So notice this. On this sixth day, which is where we want to pick up, right here in Genesis 1 and 26, on the sixth day when He's creating the land animals, He all of a sudden changes pace, God does. He gives much more text to the climax of His creation, which is humans. And notice what is said here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock. That's pretty much all the inhabitants, isn't it? And over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, verse 27, God created mankind in His own image, in the image of God, He created Him, male and female, He created them. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your holy Word. We pray now that You would bless this reading of our Word as we listen. We know that sermons, Lord, are meant to be listened to and then to be responded to. Jesus, You preached in Your earthly life and people responded. May we respond in the way You want us to, which is to repent and to believe. We pray in Your most holy name. Amen. Created in the image of God. What is an image? An image is a reflection. An image really is a sign. And to show you just sort of a visual aid real quick, I actually, I actually have some images here. Alright? They, they are signs. And uh, I'm going to show you something by showing you these signs, okay? You'll, you'll, they'll, some, they'll be familiar to you, alright? Here's the first one. What does it say here? Speed limit 15. Now, does anybody really like to go 15? I don't know, but... I sure don't. I mean, cars have bigger engines than 15 miles an hour. I feel like we should use them. But anyway, so this is actually a limit, right? This, this sign here uh, is going to limit us, right? So it's actually informing it. This sign points to something, doesn't it? And that is you need to go 15. Now, there are people out there for some reason that want to remind you to go 15. I've had some of these people stop me before you know, and remind me to go a certain speed limit. Um, you know, we should be nice to those people, but sometimes reminders aren't very nice. Um, <clears throat> restroom. This is an important one, isn't it? I mean, if there's one thing I learned from Spanish class, and it wasn't much because I failed Spanish too, uh, but there's puedo ir al baño, right? Where's the bathroom, man? Right? You've got to have that if you get yourself caught in a Spanish-speaking place. Uh, this sign points to the bathroom, right? You see it? We, we see the sign, and the sign points to... about. Notice the sign is not a bathroom. Let's be real clear. Where this sign is, kids, is not where you use the restroom. This sign is pointing to a restroom. And that's what signs do, don't they? They're not the thing itself. That's something really important for us to understand because there's this, there's this lie going around that we are God. We are not God. We are images of God. God. We are signs of God. And the sign is not the thing itself, is it? No, it's not. 
And then here's the last one, uh, <clears throat> tornado shelter. This is something that we're familiar with here, right? We like to, I like to see this sign uh, because it, when, it, when things get bad, I know I can go somewhere. This points me in the right direction when there's trouble. And that is exactly what signs do is they point us in certain directions. They lead us in certain directions. And uh, as I spill my water. And here's what God says to us. You were created as a sign of me. You're my sign. You are my image, my reflection. You ever seen a reflection before? Yeah, you go to, go to some water, right? And you, hey, there's myself. It's always funny to see a baby see their self for the first time. You ever seen this before? I've seen it quite a bit. There's quite a few babies around my house. And, and, and a baby, when they see this, they kind of... And they, it's really a fascinating thing, isn't it? To see yourself. Kind of an odd thing to see yourself. But, you know, if you break the mirror, you don't break yourself, do you? It's just a reflection. You are not God. But we act like we are. In particular, in places where we have many resources and where we are rich, we act as if we are God. Making up our own rules, doing our own way, going about life as if we are the only ones who matter. And that is not being God's sign or God's reflection. Or God's image. You see, early on, people wanted to know what God looked like. And even us today, don't we? We want to know what God looks like. And we say, oh yeah, well I saw a picture of Him, you know, it was a painting of Jesus. Well, (laughs) hate to inform you, but that's a European painting of Jesus. He's actually, that's not Jesus. It's a representation, but it's not Jesus. Even on the front of your bulletin, right? On the front of your bulletin, you have a picture, an icon, if you will, of the resurrection. It's so meaningful. Everything there is meaningful, and yet, that's not Jesus. That's not God. Actually, the Bible tells us no one has ever seen God. He is spirit. And if you've noticed, like with humans, with us humans, we only have capabilities, we only have properties that allow us to sense things with our five senses. And God is not matter, material, by nature. Now, you'll say, oh yeah, well the incarnation, yes, the incarnation changes everything. God becomes one of us. He becomes matter. And this is exactly what Colossians 1.15 will tell us, is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if you ever want to know what God looks like, then you have to look to Jesus. You say, well, where do I look to Jesus? Well, it's actually right here in the Bible. This is the most trustworthy place where Jesus is found. Not by word of mouth, not by making Him up in your head, not by making an idol. You know what an idol is? An idol, thank you sir, Uh, we at least have one person that knows what an idol is. An idol is an image. Did you know that? They would have made no distinction here between image 
an idol. And when you make an idol, you're making an image of that particular god or goddess. And this is something that people have done for thousands and thousands of years. It's not really something people do much in our culture. Sometimes we'll see an idol. You know, maybe uh, you'll see an idol on someone's dashboard or at their place of work. Uh, But most of the time, we don't have many idols around America. Now, if you go to India, and I've been to India twice. I spent four weeks in India. There are idols everywhere in India. And all they're trying to do is make God visible. They're trying to bring God down into something that they can actually touch. An image. But you know what the Bible tells us, right? You cannot make an image of me, God says. Don't. Try to make an image of me. You know why? Because God has already made an image of Himself. Look around the room real quick. You're looking at Him. God made an image of Himself by making us. That's crazy! You realize no other world religion believes that, right? All of them make images. All of them have idols. Points of reference. Never God making an idol. That's absurd. And yet this is exactly what the Bible tells us at the very beginning. Have you ever noticed how at the beginning of a show, the beginning of a movie, things are set up that are really important? Don't you hate watching a movie with someone that has missed the beginning? You're like, just, just, just please go back and watch the beginning. I don't want to sit here and, and commentate on the thing while I'm watching it. Who is that person? Why are they doing that? Where are they? Look, just watch the beginning. And that's why the beginning of the Bible is so, so important for us to understand. You should read the beginning of the Bible over and over again and let it bleed into all of your interpretation of the rest of the Scripture because it truly is the framework through which everything else will come. It sets up the entire story of God and humans and creation. And we get it all wrong, don't we? We have it all wrong. We worship the creation. And we should be worshiping the Creator. We make images of the Creator in creation. And He says, no, don't do that. We don't know our proper relationship to God. We think we're God. We want to be God. You say, I don't really want to be God. Well, you do by your actions. Adam and Eve never come out and just said, hey, I want to take your place, God. But when they grabbed the fruit that He forbid, they said, I want to take your place, God. Sometimes we say things with our actions that we're not saying with our words. Kids do this all the time, don't they? have to pick on y'all, but really, you know what? Here's the secret. Adults do it too. They just try to hide it more than you do. <laughs> you know, my, if my kids are out there, you know, there's, there's a lot of screaming outside. Let's just put it that way. A lot of back and forth raised voices. We as adults try not to raise our voice, and yet we still don't like what's going on. We're passive aggressive when we get adults. When you're kids, you just let it all hang out, right? I think that's why Jesus says, you know what? You really can't enter the kingdom of God unless you become like a little kid and are honest with yourself. Here's a a term for our modern times. You're really raw. You know what I mean? 
You're really raw about your emotions and about where you're at. You're not trying to hide. You know, that was the mistake, wasn't it? Right here in the beginning, after they take the fruit, what do they do? They go and hide. Who thinks it's funny that, to try to hide from God? I do. That's like me trying to stand behind this boat and be like, can they see me? I don't think they can see me. Mm, we can see you. <laughs> um, sometimes our kids try to hide from me. In particular, uh, one child of mine tries to hide. And, and sometimes he's pretty good at it. Other times it's pretty obvious where he's at. Uh, God knows where you are at. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. God has made an image of Himself. In other words, if we want to look and see what God's image is like, we want a little picture of God, then we actually have to look at humanity as created by Him. Now here's the problem. When we look at humanity, do we really see people that act like God? When we look at not just humanity, but when we look at our own life, do we oftentimes look, act, talk like God? What happened? If God made us like Himself, what in the world happened? Well, there's something called sin. Sin separates us from God. Sin darkens the room. Think about this. Sin is like cutting off the light in a room. Now, if all of a sudden this place went pitch dark and then you had to get out, I guarantee one of you is going to trip. Maybe even multiple people trip over each other because once one person trips, everybody after them is going to trip. They can't see anything. And this is sort of what begins to happen and unfold in Genesis is one person trips, but it's not just one person and it doesn't matter for everybody else. Instead, you know what this one person's name is, Adam? You know what his name is? His name is mankind. <laughs> so literally, when it says that He created mankind in His image, it literally says He created Adam in His image. Because Adam and mankind are the same word. And when Adam sinned, guess who sinned? Mankind sin. That means everybody sinned. And everybody after them sinned. And even we find ourselves sinning. What does sin do? It kills us. It kills our relationship with God. It kills everything we're trying to do good. It will contaminate. It will darken. It blinds us from the truth of God. How He created us. How He wants to share with us. You know, we talk about it as the fall. And truly, this is a fall, isn't it? His image, His likeness, now we fall from that. Um, Justin and I have a, have a very... to my images. We have an image stuck in our head. And I won't mention the per- person's name for, for fear of embarrassing them. But... Uh, <clears throat> There is a person in our life, an image in our life that we'll never forget. It was when we were children in, in junior high, and um, this, this girl that, that we would ride to school with, you know, she was coming out to the car, and everybody's out there getting in their cars and stuff like this. Well, she felt, falls down, you know what I mean? And, and you, know, you know how, when you see somebody, you know what I mean, 
do something like you, you feel for them. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if you see somebody up here speaking and they're struggling, you, you feel for them. You know what I mean? It's like this corporate feeling of, ah, and you want to help them, but you don't want to cause them more. You know? And so, man, she fell down, busted her knee. She's bleeding. Everywhere, and she got right back up so quick that it was actually pretty funny to watch. Like, it was almost as if she didn't even fall. She fell, got right back up again and tried to keep going, but she's bleeding everywhere. I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm all right. No, no, you, you're not okay. And that image stuck with, with my brother and I. And you know what? It reminds me of our own fall. We act like we're okay. We act like we're all right. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. And we're bleeding all over the place with sin. We are damaged by our sin. By the wrong actions, the wrong thoughts, the wrong attitude, the wrong character. It is not the image of God. And we say, oh, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm okay. And we are torn up from sin. You see, it wasn't just a fall out of the chair. If you just simply fell out of the chair, you might just get a contusion, a bruise. No, 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 it's, it's more like falling from the Empire State Building. It's not going to be good. When we fell, it broke us up in such a way that we couldn't put ourselves back together. Kind of like Humpty Dumpty, right? When he falls, he gets so messed up that all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Right? I mean, he's an egg. You ever broken an egg? I mean, just try to get that egg back into its earlier condition. Good luck with that one. Might as well just eat it. No, when we fail, when we sin, we really messed up our life. It's something very, very serious. You don't have to teach people to sin. That comes natural to us now because we don't have God in our life. When we ask Jesus into our heart, He begins to actually work on us. There's an old song, right? He's still working on me to make me what I really ought to be. Took Him just a week, right? Make the moon and the stars. The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. But you see, we're really messed up. We really had a big time fall where we're scraped up, bleeding, wounded, separated from God. And so He's still working on me. And He continues to work to actually put us back together. This is His rescue plan. This is what He came for. This is why Jesus had to come. is to rescue us. Because we cannot put ourselves back together again. And we are separated. We are in... As the Scripture says, we're dead in our sins. You see, He created us to represent Him in the world. To be His image among creation. To be the crown of creation. He created us last because everything else was ours. He was giving us everything and placing us in a position of power. You see, part of what it means to be in the image of God is to also, doesn't God rule? You know, not just God rules, but I mean, like, He literally rules. Right? 
And you know what he does? He says, you know what? I want you to rule over things too. That's why, Dad, I put you in charge of a family. Mom, I put you in charge of these children and this family and different ministries and jobs and opportunities to grow things. Kids, he gives you a particular job too, by the way. To be obedient to your parents. To be good. Even Jesus learned when He was growing up. The Scriptures tell us. And He grew in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it is our responsibility as a church to teach Jesus Christ to these little ones. And truly, to all of you. We all are susceptible to making images of God in our head. Idols in our lives putting things before God. And we must smash those. We cannot allow those to stand. He alone must rule in our hearts without rival. Amen. And so, this is why we come to church. is to recall that we are sinners, that we try to be God and that we need to confess our sins to God and to each other and then repent and believe. One of the ways, one of the good ways that you can kind of get a good clear picture of yourself is when you confess your sins to somebody else. Now, we're not talking about getting up here, you know, and blabbing it all out to everyone. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking in a small setting with people that you trust and people that love you and have your best interest in mind in Christ. But in those moments where you speak out what it is that's in your heart, those are embarrassing moments. Those are moments that you realize that's not who you were created to be. That's not who you are. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. And that's the exact thing that He wants to whisper to us is that is not who you are. You're more than that. And the Bible says you are more than conquerors. You're rulers. You're kings. You're queens. Princes and princesses of the high king. There's always this image in my head uh, of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. Do you remember this scene? I love it. It's actually at the end of, of, of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And the kids, you know, they've been on this big journey. and It's a, it's a great story by C.S. Lewis. Anyway, they get down to the end. And, and they've, they've actually overcome all this stuff. Aslan has you know, died, resurrected, sound familiar. And then all of a sudden, the four kids are presented to all of Narnia. And here's what it said uh, in, in, you know... Aslan's deep voice by Liam Neeson. And he says, he crowns the high king, Peter the Magnificent. You see, he gave him a new name. He wasn't just some little kid from a little place that was a snotty-nosed nobody. Instead, because he knew Aslan, the king of kings, the king of Narnia, he was somebody. Then he goes to Queen Susan the Gentle. King Edmund, who had kind of been in the most trouble, right? We kind of identify with him the most. We want the candy, right? And, and, and so we get tricked. 
uh, King Edmund the Just, Queen Lucy the Valiant. And as he, pre- <clears throat> as he places the crown on each of their heads, I can't help but think about Psalm 8, where he crowns us with glory and honor. He's the king, and yet he crowns us kings and queens. What kind of God is this? It's a God that has made us in His image, in His reflection, after His likeness. He is in love with us because we are His image. The image of the invisible God has been made visible in Jesus Christ who is human. Who's one of those land animals that we talked about? Created on day six. And yet He takes His flesh from Mary at a particular time about 2,000 years ago to save us. The one who has existed for all of time in a particular time takes on flesh, lives as a baby. I mean, at the heart of our Christian story is a baby. That's why, again, babies are important to us. Because they're important to God. The disciples said, no, 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 get the kids out of here. We have more important things to talk about. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You do not suffer the little children to come to me. Instead, let them come. They have a place in the kingdom of God. It is for them. It's for you and it's for your children was preached on Pentecost. It's for you and for your children. (laughs) I love that part. You see, God rescues us by a sign. Jesus. Jesus is God's clearest sign that He loves us. He said, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. And that is a lie that's whispered into your ear by the enemy. It's not the truth. He's already proven His love for us in a person, in a human, in the image of of God, And he, he takes up our image and He raises it. I mean, just get this real quick. I, I, this is real theological in Romans, but it's also very, very simple. And that is Paul says, you know what? In Adam, all died, all sinned, right? In mankind. Well, guess what? Jesus is the last Adam. There was a first Adam and he messed up, got us tangled up all in kind of stuff. And you know what? Everybody died and is guilty before God because of him and because of your own sin. But the gift of God is Jesus. And He is the new Adam. He untangles us from sin and raises the image of God right into the very heart of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He raises us up. Resurrection. He raises us up. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means that we are now risen with Him in Christ as we go down and die to ourselves. Sin curves us in on ourselves, blinds us where we only are looking at ourselves. but Jesus' light breaks us free and lets us see other people. You say, I think I already see other people. I mean in a different light. You ever had that happen? Where you see these people all the time, but all of a sudden, one day, you see them in a different light. I had that happen in junior high. I'd seen girls all my life. But all of a sudden, I saw them in a very different light in junior high. In particular, this one girl. 
And you know what? I never look at them the same again. Something changed. You know what? That same sort of change where we're looking at the same thing, but we don't see people in the same way, can happen. It's called salvation. It's called being made alive in Christ. You think you're alive, but you're not alive until you've lived with the One who breathes within us His very breath, His life, His Spirit. And when you look across the room, it won't just be some problem. It won't just be some body. Instead, it'll be someone created in the very image and likeness of God. A reflection of God. A sign of God. That's why God's way to save the world is to be a saint. A holy person. To be like God. We are His representatives in the world. That's a big job. That's a job we're going to need help on. That's why we have each other. We have to get in here every single week, get messages from the King, and then go about His business from week to week, encouraging one another, confessing our sins to one another, being forgiven by one another. That's the kind of place Harvest Point is to be as a church. It's the reason we, we started the church was because it was a call from God to gather people. You see, here's the thing. Before you ever even knew it, Jesus died for you and made salvation possible for you. In the same way that before you ever even knew it, Jessica and I, nine years ago, were preparing to start this church that you're now sitting in as a part of, webbed in relationships. Isn't that a beautiful thing? What could He start today by calling you to be His image in the world? To be His representative. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to those who are called to full-time ministry or clergy or wear the collar or people of the cloth. I'm talking about you who have to go to work tomorrow, who have a bunch of crazy kids at home like I do, who have busy lives, who are always working against the clock, who have problems in their life. That's the kind of people God is saying, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my queen. I want you to be my princess and princesses. I want you. And when He takes you, He's going to change you by putting His Spirit within you. And you will be like Him. You will be His representatives in the world. You will be more than conquerors. He'll give you a new name and put a crown upon your head and give you a seat of position in His kingdom. That sounds like good news to me. I don't know if anybody else knows that, but that is good news. If you can't see it, then you know what? It's not too late to confess your sin, your blindness, your apathy, your laziness, your sin. And repent and come to Him and say, Lord, even though we've fallen a long way, You can raise us up because You are the risen Lord. He can do that for anybody in this room. I'll end with this. A seed is a very small thing. Very, very small. Even smaller than this grape right here most of the time. And yet, it can grow into a large tree that stands for sometimes hundreds of years. I've seen some trees actually that were about 300 years old. They're cypress trees. That's crazy. They're huge. And they produce fruit. They give shade. 
They do all kind of neat things. There's something that we can't make. Our houses don't even compare to the cathedral that they create in a forest. And yet, if the seed never makes it into the ground and dies, you're just going to have a little bitty seed. Today, in your life, you have a seed. That seed can be planted or that seed can remain on the table. Here's the neat thing. God creates us in His image, which means that He gives us responsibilities. And one of the responsibilities is you're the manager of your life. Nobody else is. It's not your mom and dad's fault. It's not your grandma. It's not the people who hurt you. It's not your friends. It's not your schoolmates or your classmates or your office mates. It's not the world. It's not politics. It's not the nation. It's you. You're the problem. I'm the problem. We're managers of this problem. The only, way, only place we can take the problem is to Jesus. And here's what he says. If you will be buried with me, then you can be raised with me. But whatever remains above the surface in your life, whatever you keep for yourself is going to die. Whatever you hold on to will not remain. If you give it away, the secret in the Bible is that you'll get more. If you keep it, you'll get less. <coughs> what doesn't die will not be raised. You have an opportunity today to plant a seed. They say the best time to plant a tree was 25 years ago. The second best time to plant a tree is today. What are you going to plant today in your life? Choose King Jesus. And He will raise you up to be royalty in His kingdom. No matter who you are or what you've done, what you've got yourself entangled in, He can get you out. He is the rescuer. He's the one who comes to save us. And He will. Amen.